Hey there, everybody. Welcome on into episode seven of The Sco Show. Mark Schofield, happy to be back in the big chair and proudly a part of the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network. And a reminder that The Sco Show is brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation. Today's show, another loaded one for you. A little bit later, we're going to talk with Eric Edholm of Yahoo Sports, who covers both the NFL and the NFL Draft. We're going to talk some Patriot stuff, some league-wide news, which I'm sure you know what I'm talking about there. As well as, yes, some draft stuff. I know. I know. It's August. I get it. But the draft is a 365 thing. You're going to hear some draft talk on this show. So just buckle up, kids. What can I say? Also, we're going to talk, obviously, some Jared Stidham stuff to talk about. A mea culpa of sorts with respect to Mr. Stidham, which we'll break down. we got some Patriots transactions. And yes, we will lead off with the Andrew Luck retirement. A thunderbolt out of nowhere that struck all of us on Saturday night. But before we do any of that, your usual reminders. Please do follow along the hijinks at Mark Schofield on the old Twitter machine. If you do follow me on Twitter, you would been treated to a wonderful thread from Monday. My experiences with a family of frogs and a storm drain type situation at our new house. Yeah, it was a fun Monday. Also, please do check out the work at places like InsideThePylon.com, Pro Football Weekly, Matt Waldman's Rookie Scouting Portfolio, and yes, that trinity of SB Nation websites, Big Blue View, Bleeding Green Nation, where I co-host the QB Sco Show with the venerable Michael J. Kist, and of course, Pat's Pulpit, where you can find this show, work about the Patriots, and the Patriots Podcast Network. Please do like, subscribe, all that fun stuff. Let's talk Andrew Luck. That's a big-time development in the National Football League. Saturday night, what was I doing Saturday night? I believe at the moment this was going down, I was playing in the National Championship game at the University of Florida against Miami on NCAA Football 2006 because in the move, we found out that, yes, the original Xbox, the original N64, they all still work. So I've been playing a lot of Mario Kart, a lot of Mario Party, having a grand old time here at Casa de Schofield. And Schefter tweets that Andrew Luck is retiring. And I think everybody had the same initial thought I did, which was, he's been hacked, right? This can't be real. And no, it's legit. Andrew Luck is stepping away from the game of football. And there's both a micro story and a macro story. Let's talk micro. Obviously, this means Jacoby Brissett is now your starting quarterback. This means that the Indianapolis Colts, who made the playoffs last year, who looked to be sort of bouncing back with Andrew Luck healthy again, although he had the calf injury he was dealing with, which will be a part of this entire story, it seemed like the Colts were going to be back, and they were going to be a team to worry about. Now the NFC, AFC, AFC South excuse me, is wide open. All these teams have question marks. Is Jacksonville going to be good with Foles? Can the Texans protect Deshaun Watson? You know, what will the Colts look like now with Jacoby Brissett? Can the Titans figure out the quarterback position? Because we see other stuff with Mariota and Tannehill. And so that's sort of the micro aspect to this. And the Colts were probably with luck in the mix. That's sort of, you know, tier two, tier three of AFC teams now. I don't know if you could still put them there. Maybe. But that's the micro. I want to talk more about the macro because in the wake of this announcement, a lot of people were taken by surprise and a lot of people went down the, shall we say, they chose the fork in the road that led them down to the, let's question this guy's toughness, let's question this guy's heart. How can you walk away from money? Yes, there were clips of the Colts fans booing. Yes, Colts fans have been 
burning luck jerseys. They've been calling in and asking for refunds on season tickets. And I get at some level being upset in that sense. But at the same time, those of you that have been through the journey of, of my arrival at being a, a sports writer, a football writer, you know that as I did on Locked On Patriots, I talk about sort of the mental health aspect of life, of football, of the real world at times. You get one shot at life, kids. Just one. And at some point, we all have to sort of answer to the person in the mirror and answer to those around us, our immediate friends and family, and really just our immediate family. Those are the people, the person you see looking back at you in the mirror each morning and the loved ones closest to you that you owe things to. You don't owe, any, owe anything to anybody else. you know. And not that being a lawyer is on any level comparable to playing quarterback in the National Football League. But in my journey, I realized at one point that if I kept doing this, i.e. being a lawyer, it was going to end badly. And my life would go down a dark road from which, you know, I might not recover. Andrew Luck seemed to have gotten to that same point. What's been interesting in the wake of his decision, people have gone back and started to wonder, shouldn't we have seen this coming? You see press conferences or interviews with him and he's talking about being in a dark place and struggling with being depressed and really having to fight through what he's been dealing with. And maybe we should have seen this coming from him. He's a smart guy with interests outside of the game. And he came to the realization that, look, I can keep doing this and I might end up in a place where I can't play with my kids someday or enjoy retirement or life after football or whatever. And he had to answer to the guy who was looking back in the mirror. He had to answer to his family. And he came to this decision. And it's not an easy one. Anybody who has walked away from something they've done for their entire life, i.e. leaving football, which is something he's been doing since he was a child, it's tough. As somebody that played the game for just 13 years, again, Division three barely counts. But still, when I hunt him up that last time, it hurt. When I knew that there was no more football, there was no more games to be played, it hurt. Do I miss it still? Yeah. My knees and my back don't, my shoulders don't, but yeah, I miss it. And so it's hard. And so this idea that somehow Andrew Luck has like done the millennial thing as Doug Gottlieb tweeted out and retired because rehab was too hard. No. Andrew Luck did what was right for him. Andrew Luck did what was right for Andrew Luck and those around him. And rather than like trashing the guy, should be applauding him. Again, you get one crack at life. And it's not worth it to go through it if you're miserable doing something that's making you miserable. And so I get it. I do. It sucks on that sort of micro level that we're losing a talented player. We don't get to watch him anymore. He was a joy to watch play the position. But big picture wise, my hat's off to him. Now I mentioned, look, Patriots did make some roster moves. They released Mike Pennell off of the defensive line. They released Keonta Davis and Maurice Harris, defensive lineman and wide receiver. They placed linebacker Brandon Cannon on injury reserve. He suffered a knee injury. They did make some additions. Scooby Wright, the linebacker out of Arizona, and Robert Martin, a running back, were signed to the team. Those are some minor type moves. The bigger moves will be coming. And speaking of moves and roster projections, Thursday's show, 
I'm going to have my sort of 53-man roster projection, guess at it, my one shot at it, and Taylor Kyles is going to come on and give us his. So that's going to be Thursday's show. But one of the burning questions facing the Patriots and how they're going to go down in terms of this roster and getting down to 53 is the quarterback room. And do they keep two or do they keep three? And if they keep two, is that player going to be Jarrett Stidham? Fascinating to think where we've come from that Jarrett Stidham might be the guy that backs up Tom Brady and not Brian Hoyer. But Stidham's development has been fantastic. And I'm going to talk about Stidham here for a moment because in a show like a week ago, I said I'd made the case after that Lions game that his best throw was an incompletion. His best throw against the Lions was an incompletion. I was wrong. I was wrong about that. Because I went back, spurred on by a Twitter thread that came out on a Saturday when you guys were probably at the beach or doing something else. Football Twitter delivered a fantastic bit of discussion about a play that you probably missed in that Lions game. And I wrote a piece about this over at Matt Waldman's site. You can check it out, mattwaldmanrsp.com. And it's titled... Mark, Schofield, Mark Schofield's RSP NFL Lens. The Jarrett Stidham edition of playing quarterback is hard. And there's a play just after the two-minute warning in the first half. Third and three. Where Stidham scrambles for two yards. And it's one of those plays when you're watching the game, you just you go by it. You just burn by it. You're like, just whatever. This play blew my mind when it was finally broken down. And it was broken down initially from the defensive point of view by Bryce Rossler, BT, at BT Rossler, R-O-S-S-L-E-R on Twitter. He writes about the Lions for Lions Wire. He works for Sports Info Solutions, a smart guy. And he was talking about the coverage that the Lions were playing on this play. Now, I want to approach it from the Stidham point of view, okay? It's just a two-yard scramble. But what do we see on this play? The Patriots have a slot formation to the right. You got a receiver inside, receiver outside. And they run a concept in their playbook called rope, which is basically a return route from the slot receiver where you start inside, almost like you're going to run a juke route, but then you break out to the flat. And the outside receiver runs a stop or a hitch route. But that outside route can convert. And after Bryce put out his initial tweet, there were some questions about what the Patriots were doing, and he tagged me and Zach Dunn. Zach S. Dunn on Twitter, who's a smart Patriots guy. And he pointed out that on this route concept, that inside route that the slot receiver has, that is locked. You will run in that return no matter what. The outside one can convert. And the rules for that are, it's normally a stop route, even against press man coverage. The only time it converts is against, say, cover two, when you're going to run a fade. Okay? As luck would have it, the Lions are in cover two on this play. And so... The main thing to know about this route concept is it's a cover two beater. Okay, It's designed to beat cover two because that outside cornerback will usually sink with that vertical route, get some depth with it because one of the weak spots of cover two is deep along the sideline before the safety can get over and behind that corner. So the corners are taught to sink and try to squeeze that throne window, that turkey hole as John Gruden calls it. And so if he sinks, that route to the flat comes wide open. It's kind of like go flat, same thing, same concept. It's a cover two beater. If that corner just, you know, doesn't get deep enough, 
Then you throw to the turkey hole on the go route. So this route is designed to cover two. But as a quarterback, such as Jared Stidham in this moment, when you know you're going to run this concept and you see cover two, there's something you have to be worried about. And that's called two trap, which is a man, a cover two deep, man under concept, where the outside receiver will start dropping, showing you like I'm in zone coverage, that outside corner, excuse me. He's going to drop like he's staying with that vertical route. But if he sees the slot receiver break to the flat, then he's going to trap that. He's going to break down hard on it. You're trying to bait that quarterback to throw the ball thinking it's covered two, and you step in front of it for a pick six. Now, traditionally, when you see that as a quarterback, you're going to see that guy kind of looking at you. He's going to zone drop, backpedal in a sense. On this play, Lions do something vicious from a quarterback's perspective. And this was pointed out by James Light as well as Coach Vass, two brilliant Twitter accounts. They run a variation of cover two man under called Five Cougar. What does that do? That outside corner, instead of backpedaling and keeping his eyes on everything in front of him, he executes what we call a man turn, which is when that receiver releases vertically to the outside. He turns baseball style and runs with him with his back to the quarterback. Now think about that for a second. If you're Jared Stinneman, you see that guy with his back turned and running away from you, you're thinking, it's cover two, man under, he's staying with him, that flat route's going to be open. And so that's exactly what Stidham thinks. And he starts to look at that route coming out of the slot to the flat from a slot receiver, and he pulls it down and scrambles to the left side for two yards. Why? Because in that five cougar concept, the corner that makes the man turn, he may be running away from you, but he's still looking over his inside shoulder to read that slot receiver. And if you go to Matt Waldman RSP, you can see it for yourself. You see the man turn, but that corner has his eyes to the inside. And as soon as he sees that slot receiver break to the outside, he peels off, traps that route from the slot receiver, and jumps it. And if Stidham throws it, it's a pick. But he doesn't. He sees it at the last second, pulls it down, and scrambles for two yards. That play blew my mind. Because that is a tough read for a veteran quarterback let alone an NFL rookie playing in his first preseason game. And so to see that, I was very impressed. Now, if you want to get a step beyond that, what does he need to do? Throw the vertical route. That's the next step in the evolution of Jared Stinn. If he starts doing that, then we know we'll cook him with gas. So that's some stuff on Jared Stinn. Again, we're going to talk more about sort of the Patriots and what they're going to be doing in terms of roster cutdowns. That's for Thursday's show. Myself with the 53-man projection as well as the one and only Zach Dunn. Up next, though, my conversation with Eric Edholm. We're going to talk a lot about the Patriots, the Andrew Luck situation, and more. That's ahead on Episode 7 of The Sco Show. And welcome back to Episode 7 of The Sco Show, part of the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network. And Proudly brought to you by the great folks at SB Nation. Joined now by one of the best people in the business. He writes for Yahoo Sports, covering the NFL, and of course the NFL Draft. He's the one and only Eric at home. Eric, buddy, how you doing, my friend? It's good to hear your voice, man. It's been, I think, since Senior Bowl, I'm guessing, since we uh, spoke, at least in person. So it's uh, it's great to be on with you. I'm I'm hyped for the season, man. Everything's everything's falling into place here. It's always good to have football back. Though we did get a bit of news, and yes, this is a Patriots show, but the overall NFL news right now is, of course, Andrew Luck and his decision to retire. I'm sure that took you by surprise, Eric. What are your thoughts on it, your instant reaction? 
Yeah, I, you know, what was it, 8.30 or, you know, 9 o'clock on a Saturday right. night. It wasn't, uh, you know, the, neither the time nor the place with the Colts actually playing a game that I think anybody expected that to, to go down. But I, I explained it to somebody else this way. I said, yeah, I did not expect this whatsoever. But was there a funny feeling about this calf thing and how it lingered and nobody really knew what to call it? Absolutely. And, you know, it. I guess if you'd asked me Saturday morning, like, all right, give me the list of five star players you could see walking away from the game early, he might not have been the first choice, but he wouldn't have been the fifth either. I would have probably, you know, just hearing everything he went through a couple of years back and even after the comeback player of the year season, I think he at least had to consider the idea that, you know, that he could, could have a career or a life outside of football with everything, all his outside interests and everything. So shocking, perhaps not stunning, just more like the way that it went down and, and the timing of it, I guess. You know, what's been interesting, Eric, is over the past couple of hours on Twitter, people have been looking at some of his old press conferences and just pulling together phrases like, I'm in yeah. a dark place and I've been struggling. Maybe we should have seen this coming in a sense. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I think so. I mean... Yeah, I read Zach Kiefer's story. He does a great job. He was with the Indy Star before, but he was with The Athletic now. And I read a story from him, uh, I guess it was yesterday morning, that he had written 2018, the beginning of, of last season. And, you know, it was all those things you just said, dark place, depression. You know, I didn't – if I didn't love football, one of the quotes read, I would just quit. And so I think he's he's invoking that privilege, you know, and, and – Sure, Patriots fans fans don't mind because I think they beat him every single time they played Luck in his career. Right. But but it's sad when you when you see a great talent, you know, suffer through things that have obviously derailed him and, and left him in a place where, you know, he's he's clearly not happy with the quality of his life right now. You know, speaking of the Patriots, I guess we do have to talk about them since this is technically a Pat show. <laughs> That's right. But we can sort of work Andrew Luck into the mix. How does his retirement sort of change the landscape of the AFC, if at all? That's a great question. I mean, you know, it, I think all the, you know, a lot of people who, who fall into the, you know, I guess the sort of mainstream media fans, analysts, whatever, who, who study this game, a lot of people think, okay, it's going to be New England, Kansas City, and, you know, maybe there's room for the Browns in that conversation at some point. And I think everybody had the Colts in that kind of, that second or maybe that third tier. But every, I, I would be hard-pressed to say there weren't people that, that weren't at least encouraged with the direction they were heading and the, the roster improvement the last two years under Chris Ballard and a healthy luck back. And so, yeah, there was a ton of optimism about what they might be able to do. And so I think it makes the AFC South just, you know, it's already kind of a confusing division, but Lamar Miller hurting in, in Houston, you've got a quarterback change and maybe a lack of playmakers in Jacksonville. You've got the weird Tannehill Mariota thing in, in Tennessee and, you know, now this in India, I would argue that might be the hardest division to kind of handicap right now. And so, you know, it may only just switch a division leader or something like that. But I'm also not ruling the Colts out as a as a, a strong team that could still compete with Jacoby Brissett at QB, I think. Eric, let's sort of switch and talk a little bit more Patriots right now. But we'll stay with the quarterback position near and dear to my heart. Jared yeah. Stidham making a name for himself. Do you think there's a chance New England rolls with just Jared Stidham behind Tom Brady, or do you think they keep three quarterbacks? Yeah, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this too, because I, I know, 
you know, Bill Belichick will fall into some patterns as far as his usage in the preseason and whether, you know, whether it's uh, a bad sign for certain guys and that kind of thing. And I know the quarterbacks can only play it once. And so that's maybe a little bit more obvious at times. But, you know, I thought like he, he gave him a shot in that last game to kind of stand out and, and really make a statement. Does that guarantee that he's going to be one of the two quarterbacks on this on this team? No, I still think there's a reasonable possibility for them to keep three even though that's been you know outside of their practice a little bit but yeah I'm curious is it is it when you have as many players rosterable NFL players that they currently have and they're going to have to get rid of some of these guys I wonder how much that affects the decision or is this strictly a quarterback analysis thing so I don't know I'm a little bit back and forth on this one yeah it is interesting because they will have some tough decisions to make at say in the secondary at the wide receiver room which we can talk about so you do wonder if the numbers game might play a role but what might play a role is just the play of Stidham himself and how did you feel about him say coming out or down to Mobile where we saw him at the senior bowl yeah I you know I was I was so interested in him after 2017 of course we all saw him struggle largely for most last year and you know you just you flip on the two Alabama games and it was like night and day at 17 he looked the kind of guy that could could attack that type of defense look confident last year not so much right so you know he, he kind of limped in there a little bit and throughout the course of the week you know we only I only got to see those those two days of practice the the, the middle one being uh, moved indoors but I felt a little better about him I thought he was a real sharp kid it was it was fun to hear him kind of address some of his struggles head on. He seemed very, you know, business-like about the whole thing. He's got a little bit of a personality, threw the ball fairly well. I don't think anyone's thinking he's got some cannon of an arm or anything like that, but I felt a little safer about him having watched him talk and throw down there and just talking to some other people who were a little bit more dialed in on him. I don't think anyone felt like he was going day one or two, but obviously he kind of fell right about where I suspected he would go somewhere in that fourth round range so I felt better about him all things considered with everything they had with the play calling issues at Auburn last year you know one of the big storylines in New England is this wide receiver room and trying to see how that will shake out but with the return of Josh Gordon it should Patriots fans really be excited about this because they are right now but should this be a buyer beware situation I think you have to be don't you I mean it just Look, I, I'd love nothing more, and I'm sure you feel the same way, than to see Josh Gordon go through a season healthy, head clear, in a good place, you know, support of his teammates and coaches, you know, no no distractions, demons put aside as best he can. I mean, that would be that would be great because he is this this superior talent that we've seen, you know, just incredible moments from that that one season when he led the you know the league in, in receiving yards, all the 15, 20, 25-yard plays he, he logged last year after barely knowing what he was doing, you know, and obviously they worked with him on that. But, I mean, yeah, it's it's something I want to get excited about, but I think it's obviously uh, there's a real hesitation about whether he can, you know, stick with the team and uh, keep his own personal issues uh, at bay and still pass drug tests and everything else. But, man, what a, what a difference he would make. And, and the same with Demarius, too. But, I mean, uh, you know, especially Gordon at this stage of his career. He's still in his prime and still a thrilling player at times. I was at that Bears game last year where I thought, you know, he really kind of made the difference in, in that yeah. game in a lot of ways. 
Yeah, and you mentioned Demarius, and this is sort of one of those typical Belichick moves. You grab a, acquire a veteran that might sort of be near the end, but you can try to see a role that they could carve out. Now, he's coming off the Achilles. Do you think he does eventually carve out a role for this roster, or do you think he's probably just lost too much, for, more than a step or more? Yeah, it did feel like he was trending that way even before the injury a little bit. And, it, you know, it's not like I had, you know, broken down a ton of him before that. But still, it did feel like he lost a little juice and a little explosion in his game. Still savvy, still has those good physical traits. You know, you, you suffer through the occasional drop with him and the, the maddening drop, too. It's never those, you know, 50-50 balls. It's always the ones that hit him in the hands. But still, I, there's there's enough to like about his game. And, and he. He's a fun guy to talk to. He's a smart guy, and you know, I, I think would you know he's probably going to fit in very well there. But obviously, the physical condition is is the biggest thing. I did like the fact that was it yesterday or whatever it was. He seemed pretty confident. You know, yeah. I still got it. I love that. That's cool to hear from a player who's been through something like this at this stage of his career. You know, Eric wanted to ask you about Chase Woodovich. It seems like the Patriots might have found. I don't want to say a diamond in the rough, but they might have found their next like edge guy and, you know, sort of in the mold of, say, of Rabel and a, a Nankovich in Chase Winovich. He's been lighting it up the preseason. What did you think about him pre-draft and what have you seen from him so far? Yeah, no, I mean, gosh, if you didn't immediately think of one of, one of those right. two guys, just, you know, so so crazy to think that. What did they get him? 92nd in the draft or something? 77, but still. 77. I mean, yeah. Okay. But still, man, I you know I guess I I don't know how high I thought he should have gone. I guess I was thinking kind of late second, early third, so it's not too far after that. But still, it it's almost one of those deals where you know him on the Patriots is going to be an added value, and that they know exactly how to use him, and, and his effort is going to be. It did seem like they got away from that type of player though in recent years, right? I just yeah. sort of felt like. More of the physical kind of, you know, gap-clogging linemen a little bit, more of the stronger base end types. So it, it must have just been one of those deals where they said, all right, he's too good. He's too perfect for us. We got to take him. Love the energy on tape. You'd, you'd be watching Rashawn Gary and, you know, your, your left eye is over here, but your right eye is, you know, looking at the other side of the screen at this blonde-haired, you know, demon, this Viking-like figure right. you know, making plays off yeah. the edge. So it, it's hard not to love what he adds. Okay, maybe first year he's not a 800-snap guy. Who cares? He's going right. to add something to this defense, I think. He has to. Yeah. I mean, I think when you look at how Belichick likes to scheme pressure yeah. and the motor, I mean, he had a play against the Titans where he was – deep into the, you know, the backfield yes. back gets by him and chases him down from behind. I mean, that's just like Chase Woodovich to a T. He did that all the time at Michigan. The motor doesn't stop. You were going to do, well, you know, those, you know, those great analytics services they have out there now. And obviously the league does one too, where they chart how far a player's run yeah. on a field. Like he might lead the league in like yards run per snap this season. Well, for at least for a, for a front seven guy. So maybe that's a stat we have to revisit at the end of the year. I love that. We definitely going to look back at that. <laughs> Eric, we also love the NFL draft and with college football actually getting underway, we can really start talking about draft. You wrote some five players to watch in week zero. One of the players ah. you mentioned, Cole McDonald, there was a hype train for the Hawaii quarterback. I was in the engine myself, helping to drive it. <laughs> and then he has a very Cole McDonald game where he throws four touchdowns, four picks gets pulled. Is the train permanently derailed or uh, is it going to get back on track somehow? What happened, dude? What I don't you know. know. Like I, <laughs> Like he threw some dimes in that game yes. and then 
he made some like throws that you wouldn't see like a third grader make. I just oh, no. It was it was so crazy to watch, and of course I thought, you know, I, I realize I'm staying up past my bedtime here. Right. I may have had a beer or two, you know. Am I getting delirious here in what I'm seeing? But I, you know, I first of all, I didn't see him getting benched at the end of the third quarter, even yeah. with the you know one interception seemingly worse than the next. But it was strange because there were plays he really showed some great patience and and just sort of waiting for you know the the routes to uncover. You know, there was the 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 verticals he ran against the the cover three there, he just dimed it in there on that one touchdown and had a couple other great seam passes there. The, the, the deep out pattern he threw in the second half outside the number, I mean, that was just, that was the best ball I thought he threw all night. And, and yet the mistakes kept piling up. And maybe he's more of that, that you know, thrill a minute, sort of hold on to your seat quarterback than than even I realized. I think we may have gotten a little fooled by a fairly low interception total last year. Yeah. So does he get the job back, I assume, against Oregon State? I don't know. I haven't heard anything. So I, I'll I'll be tracking him even more after that crazy performance. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those where you want to see how he bounces back from, how he bounces back from, but might not get the chance of rolling the sides. Look, man. You can't be throwing four picks at a game. That's just doesn't no. work. But, not against Arizona. I mean, no. come on. I mean, and they get a chance to make some noise in the Mountain West, so they can't be doing that. Um, Eric, anybody else stand out sort of in week zero here? Yeah, I thought those Florida pass rushers looked really good. I mean, you know, you know, Greenard and, and Zuniga, I thought really did a good job of of getting after. Granted, Miami was starting some some young guys, yeah. some some unprepared offensive linemen. It looked like and. I don't know how many penalties and sacks and whatever they took in that game, but it was it was pretty darn ugly. But I felt good about those guys. Less good about the corners. Boy, I mean, I came in with a pretty good opinion of C.J. Henderson and Marco Wilson. I thought both guys had some just ghastly reps out there. So whether it was taking penalties on the, the, the late drives there, you know, with Wilson interference calls or – yeah, the tackling from Henderson was just atrocious. So that was that was a surprise because this was hailed as kind of a savvy veteran uh, Gator secondary. But I don't know. Did you see the DJ Dallas, the the Miami running back at all, and the tight end for that matter too? But I mean, did you happen to see that game and watch those skill guys at all? Or I, I saw just a little bit of it, okay. and you know, still enough to stay intrigued. I mean, nothing yeah. that really like blew me away. Yeah, but I mean, again, it's sort of like the Cole McDonald thing. Although neither one of them had four turnovers or anything like that, but (laughs) you know, you're thinking, okay, well, you want to see how they continue, but they certainly get off to some pretty good starts. But even better, we get full on week one this week. We've got Trevor Lawrence in action. We've got two in action. We get Justin Herbert up against Auburn. You know, anything you're, you know, get you out of here on this one, Eric. Anything you're looking forward to watching here as we get into Labor Day weekend and week one of the college football season. Yeah, you mentioned that that Oregon Auburn game. Obviously, everyone, you know, anybody who's got a you know a fleeting interest in the draft might tune in for Herbert. But yeah. stay for that line battle. I mean, Oregon's offensive line against Auburn's front. You know, Derek Brown, Nick Coe, all the guys they have. They have they have a couple of deep units there where they can go with their kind of their nitro package, their lighter front pass rushing group. They've also got a heavier unit that can stop the run. Uh, I mean, I just. Oregon's offensive line is legit. You know, Shane Lemieux and those guys, I think, are really good. I think they return all five, if I'm not mistaken, or four of the five anyway. So that's that's going to be a heavyweight battle there that I'll probably be focused on. But, yeah, I mean, I, Utah-BYU should be pretty good. 
Um, it's, you know, there's a couple games on Thursday that'll, you know, I'm going to watch Cincy UCLA just because I'm kind of a sick human being like that. But, you know, that's that's what I do. I mean, we're all sick human beings when we're talking about the draft here in late August. But Eric, man, fantastic stuff as always, my friend. You're always you're doing such great work over Yahoo Sports. Remind everybody where they can find you, what you've got going on this year. Yeah, Twitter is uh, E-R-I-C underscore at home, E-D-H-O-L-M. And uh, yeah, as you said, I'll, I'm, you know, I was at Yahoo previously, came back in March. And my primary focus is going to be the draft. So I'm in full catch-up mode here on all the all the prospects. Yeah, I usually don't really get to familiarize myself this early with them. So it's been a fun process, a little change of pace for me. But I'll be doing some other college football stuff, some other drafts. I mean, some other NFL stuff as well. And it's it's been really fun. I'm, I'm trying to embrace the new role as best I can and get as much uh, fresh content up there as possible. So I, I really like it. Fantastic to hear, Eric. Folks, that will do it for episode seven of the Sco Show. We're closing in on double digits for all you Vegas v- betters that had the under. I'm sorry. I'm going to have some bad news <laughs> for you here pretty soon, but that will do it. I will be back on Thursday. Taylor Kyles and I, we're going to do sort of a 53-man roster projection show. Until then, please keep on blessing those Patriots reigns out of Foxball. <laughs> 